Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of the rally, the S&P moving closer to another key level. And this is another critical week, looms especially large. We debate the road ahead for stocks with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Bryn Talkington, and right here in front of me is Farmer Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. We'll go to the wall. We're just past 12 noon in the east. We've been kind of all over the place a little bit. 33,994. So Dow's good for 44. S&P is 4070. That's one quarter of 1%. NASDAQ's having a pretty decent day as well. Uh, Intel doesn't matter to the rest of the chips because many of them are rallying even though it is sinking. And there's a Russell 352, the yield on the 10-year. All right, so we got some data, Jim, right? PCE in line, that's important. Lowest annual rise since October of 2021. Consumer sentiment was right at the estimate, 64.9, or a little bit above that. And we've been on better technical footing, too, for stocks. How are you feeling today? Good. Not great. Good. I'm not feeling bad, okay. Scott. Okay. Right. Um, right. So you just you just gave a lot of data, and I'll, I'll start going, and then you uh, stop me when you want to. But you know, on the technical data first, all right. So we're we're above the 200-day moving average, and we kind of seem comfortable there. Mm-hmm. I'm not a technician, but you know, when I talk about technicals, I'm only going to talk about something that really, really matters because it comes to me. All right. Uh, we're setting up for a golden cross in the S&P 500. May have already happened. That's where the 50-day moving average crosses the 200-day moving average, goes above it. That is generally highly regarded as a positive signal. Now, that's the technicals. The fundamentals have to also match up with that. What does that mean? That means the Fed has to kind of chill out a little bit. Now, I'm not saying they're going to stop. They're going to raise 25 basis points next week, but hopefully they acknowledge that the data is starting to look better. What's even more important than the PCE, you brought it up, and I'll stop after this, Scott, but okay. all right, right in Thank line. You. That's great. All right, but you know what's even more important is next week's average hourly earnings on right. the labor report because that will be the first look at January inflation number. The PCE matters, but it's actually the last in sequence of the December data. Next week's labor report will be the first look at January's right, inflation. So we, we got a good debate to set up here because it, I think in terms of the rally, Bryn, Jim says he's, buy, he's buying it, right? It's not buy it. It's either buy it or fade it. Those are the two perspectives that are preeminent right now. He says buy it. Bob Pisani, by the way, to the point of the 200-day moving average, S&P 500 above that, and seems, you know, pretty consistently there. He also points out 52-week highs versus lows are expanding. Advanced decline line at its highest level since last September. It's broad-based value and growth almost up equally. Do you buy it or do you fade it? I mean, it all feels like a warm blanket when you're talking about it. But you know what? The Fed is coming out next week. And is the Fed going to let this market continue to rally? And so that's what I question. So if I were trading as a trader, which I'm not, I'm an allocator, but as a trader, I would be fading this because I don't know if the Fed is going to come out next week and say, hey, all clear, all clear, we're going to move on. I mean, don't forget that 
um, Paul Volcker's book is in front of apparently Jay Powell's desk and they still worry about the 70s when inflation came down and then it came right back up. I think with China reopening, oil's catching a bid. I'm not clear that the Fed is going to say all clear. And if they don't say that, all of this could once again collapse and we're right back where we started a couple of months ago. Okay, so Carrie, got to buy it. I got to fade it. And then I got your point of view, which is what? You got to settle this now. There's only three of you. So it all falls on your shoulders here. Well, the market is rallying because it was oversold. And we've talked about this for a while, about how I felt that the bias of every expert, every strategist, almost everyone you listen to would say, because of what the Fed is doing and because of inflation, we can't buy the market. But the market has been composed of many sectors that have been in their own recession, that have fallen, you know, stocks 50 percent, 60 percent, 70 percent. You know, our job is to buy low and sell high. And you just can't put a blanket statement that, you know, the market is expensive because the Fed is still alert. Of course they are. And they're going to raise interest rates again. But the market understands that. And the market has started to say we can see beyond this. We know inflation is coming down. You know, that's just obvious, you know, from housing and retail. You know, look at all the places where we've seen slowdowns and and jobs are being cut, you know, not just in technology communications. But you're hearing from other type of businesses Mm -hmm. that they need to slow down because they they don't have enough business. And that means that the market has to really think about how over the next year we'll see margin improvement. You'll start to see a better reality. And with stock prices down where they haven't been in a a long time, you know, we went down 25 percent on the S&P, 33 percent, more than that slightly, on on the Nasdaq. There are opportunities not to take advantage of some of those as investors, we believe is a mistake. All right, Jimmy, I mean, maybe the market's kidding itself, though, right? I mean, Kerry suggests, yeah, we know everything. Fed's going to raise rates, but maybe the market's kidding itself in, in terms of what the implications of the rate increases still to come and the ones that they've already done are. It's all yet to happen. Yeah. I I mean, listen, it could very well be kidding itself. And we've certainly had some bear market rallies that I will freely admit I thought were the real thing. So, um, yeah, that is certainly a possibility. Um, I do think that this is something where the fundamentals have to support. And again, this comes down to inflation and the Fed. Um, but Kerry makes a great point that these these most of the stock market was really oversold. And if we go back, Scott, like six weeks ago, everybody saw doom and gloom. I mean, everybody six weeks ago, everybody's like, it's a recession. It's a recession. It's a recession. Mm-hmm. I was on my island with maybe Tom Lee, maybe Edgar Denny, maybe maybe Brian Belsky. Right. Well, there's more people on the island and I'm welcoming them, welcoming them and they're happy to be there. The point being is that the data has started to come in mixed, which is better. Both earnings and economic is better than what was feared. And that's what matters in the markets, being better than what was feared. But I have to say this, the Fed is what matters still. If they go to 5.1 percent and the Fed funds futures market is right that they're going to cut at the back end of the year, that's a mistake. That's a terrible mistake. Why spend those extra six months with an extra 25 basis points? Uh, But it's up to the Fed. Are all of your hopes hinged on next week at this point? Does he have to be more dovish than people may expect and and if he's not what are the implications for you so it would be nice here's what i want i already said i want data dependency i may not get that i may not get powell and the and the fed open market committee saying they're going to be data uh dependent but 
If they raise 25 basis points, we've got two more full months of inflation numbers and everything else economically uh, before they meet and announce on March 22nd. That's a lot of time for them to put the uh, forward guidance, also known as job owning, that tool back in the toolbox. And I'd like them to put that tool back in the toolbox. Right. Bryn makes a good point, though. Uh, I think you do, Bryn. This idea that, you know, this, the stock market rallying too much is if Joe Terranova was here, he would use the, the words either provoke or incite when it comes to the Fed, right? It's that the Fed does not want to see the stock market get through a, you know, a technical hurdle of, say, 4,100, and then it's, okay, where are we going next? We had a call just yesterday, Bryn, I think it was Deutsche Bank, said we could go 4,500 before we, you know, face the recession realities. I think, I think what the Fed is trying to keep down our animal spirits, right? And that's when, you know, we've seen in like the high growth tech, like the ARC names are up 25, NVIDIA's up 35, Tesla's up 35 or 40. So you've seen these high beta names really come back. And what's interesting is long yields are obviously are falling. I don't think the Fed wants these animal spirits to come back in the market yet. And that's a really important sign of sentiment. And so, 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 so if I'm gonna be a betting person, I'm gonna say that Powell's gonna come out next week and i would hope as jim to say he would say he's data dependent because that's just better for the economy that just gives me another another point that hey they're not going to screw it up they're not going to over tighten but my sense is he's not going to come out and say that because they're not ready once again for those animal spirits to move up in the market and for financial conditions to continue to mm -hmm. relax carrie i always like looking at the flow show from bank of america they suggest today fade s p 41 to 42k uh or, or, you know, I'm 4,200, uh, as thereafter stocks mm -hmm. start to drag yields higher, right? We haven't even talked about that. The implication that if stocks continue to go up, there's going to be even more better feeling about where the economy perhaps is going, and that's going to drag yields higher, and that's going to put a ceiling on stocks. What do you think of that? I don't think that much of it. I mean, I, I think that uh, what we need to think about right now is that stocks have been moving from a very low level, a much lower level than they are right now, right? You know, so it, it, to well, project why, what happens why when the market they? is 4,300. Right? In some part, why they, have they? Why are why, they moving? Because they the were too cheap. Why is the NASDAQ up the way it is, right? Why, why is the NASDAQ up 11% year to date? In part, be, it's because yields haven't moved. Yields have been low, right? Yields had come down. If it, if it was another story, if yields had been creeping up all it. along the way, we, we wouldn't be talking about 4,100 on the S&P. You know that. Yeah, but, but we also see that earnings are not as bad as feared, that we're not having a recession in Europe because it's been such a cold winter, that we may not have a recession that's severe because, you know, people were talking about it, but it doesn't seem to be materializing yet. We, we are hearing that from companies. American Express reported uh, a, a decent number, and then they raised guidance. And I don't think they would be raising guidance if people weren't traveling and spending money and millennials and Gen Z people are spending, you know, 30 percent of their billings. So so I you know, I, I just believe that the, the talk about where rates could go if the market goes up to forty three hundred is premature. The market is responding to where it had been, which was 
in, in I would say, a, a pretty ne- extremely negative and bearish sentiment where there was, you know, no hope that anything except a recession was going to here and the Fed would keep going. You know, the idea that we're now talking about whether they're going to stop. I mean, I don't think that they're necessarily going to stop. I think that it would be a surprise if mm-hmm. they did 50 basis points. Right. We weren't talking about this at all three months ago. Jim, why, this is why, a much better place. Why have rates been coming down, Jim? Uh, the bond market is daring the Fed. I mean, the bond market is in opposition to the Fed. It's saying two things. The Fed's not going to go as high uh, as it says it is. I happen to agree with that. It's also saying the Fed's going to cut at the end of the year, which I hope is wrong. I hope is wrong. It's, it's not going to cut that, because it's saying that the economy is is going to get hit. Well, uh, n- not yet. It's saying the economy mm-hmm. is going to be weak. Well, if parts the economy, of the economy, parts of the economy are weakening. I mean, the consumer in many ways is holding yeah. it up. Wait, wait, this is really interesting that you bring this up because and Carrie was just saying this about American Express. And I know we want to talk about American Express, Visa and MasterCard, but they all have just reported. Right. And the same message from all of them, well, that's all of them, said, which right, is but, that. The you consumer's may, you, good. Well, you may have, in many respects, a business-led recession, not a consumer-led recession. You may have that. You may also have, I, look, full credit to Ed Yardeni on what I'm about to say, because this is what I think is happening. It's the rolling recession. You've had it in housing. We've mm-hmm. had, It's bad in housing, but it seems there's some green shoots there. I don't want to be too early on that. We're right in the middle of it in tech, right? All these layoffs. And there's, look, face it, there's probably more rounds of layoffs to come. But there are other sectors of this economy, industrials, discretionary travel, leisure, all that sort of stuff that's just going strong. I think you're going to get this rolling recession, which means the economy overall hangs in there on average. Well, in terms of the stock market, right, we're at 34,000 even as I look right now. You have, as Pisani has been pointing out, above the 200-day moving average, as Jim said, on the S&P 500. 4,100 seems to be the next line in the sand. Whether we get there or not may depend on what happens next week, not just with the Fed, Bryn, but with big tech earnings. You got all of them next week, except for Microsoft, which obviously already reported. You got Apple. You do have Microsoft. There is NVIDIA. And you suggest that the FANG trade's done. Yeah, what I, what I mean by that is that for years, you could just literally go buy FANG, right? Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. And that was the trade for about 10 years. I think investors need to be much more discreet and be more specific in those names because I think what happens to Netflix and Microsoft is very different than a Facebook. So Amazon and Facebook, people are going to be like, are you cutting costs? Are you going to spend on the metaverse? Amazon still has way too many people that work there. With Apple, it's like, what's happening in China? Is the consumer buying the cell phone? And so I don't think because rates are not at zero, these are all going to move up in that very correlated fashion they were before. And so like I own Microsoft, NVIDIA and Apple. I think those are the three. I don't want to own Amazon or Facebook. And so I do think that that acronym of FANG is not going to be the trade of where you want to be in the next few years, unless it's Diamondback, the symbol Diamondback, mm-hmm. which is FANG. <laughs> the other thing I was wondering today is, you know, the Intel disaster. And I don't know how you could characterize it as anything but that, even this summer having a hard time, you know, trying to put the right words behind that story, which has been, you know, fairly ugly of late, obviously. Was wondering what the impact was going to be on the chip trade itself, which is, you know, obviously, Jim, gotten off to a really great start this year and some had started to point to it say this is a great tell on where the market is going that you know chips look pretty good maybe it's confirmation that the rally's good and I said okay well maybe these stocks are going to get hit now on Intel not really not really not if you look at Nvidia and AMD 
and you could put mm -hmm. some of the others up there. I don't know what Qualcomm's doing in the, at, at this moment, which you own, but we'll show that too. I'll, I'll look at it as I'm asking you. That's yeah, I mean, down a little bit, but it's not, not having much. this broad implication on all those stocks, to which Kramer was suggesting today. I think it's a mistake for the whole space to trade lower on, on Intel. Intel has very specific operational problems that it's had for several years. I am not happy saying this. This was once a great company, but it's now many years uh, that they have been behind the curve in terms of the leading edge technology for chips, which is how, how narrow the, uh, the circuits are. And there's just no sign that they're coming out of it. Now, look, if there is a slowdown, and we, um, we can't not acknowledge that there's some sort of slowdown, if on the margins orders are, are not as great as expected, where are they going to get cut? first, AMD, which is on the leading edge, NVIDIA, which is on the leading edge? No, it's going to be on Intel, which is behind. Um, so there's just, this is a very specific Intel problem that if they hadn't had these operational problems, again, for years, uh, then it wouldn't be in the position that it's in right now. But the overall chip sector has been priced for a disaster that just hasn't well, not been coming in, Not through. anymore, though. I mean, we're, we're, here's the SOX, okay? Mm -hmm. The SOX is heading for its best week since mid-November. The SMH is on pace for its longest weekly win streak since August. This week alone, NVIDIA and Qualcomm are up 11 and 9% respectively. Yeah, don't. And I mean, I could go with other names too, but this space has been yeah. gangbusters, Jim, lately. Yes, but not, it's not ubiquitous. All right, you mentioned the big ones, right? NVIDIA is a big part of that index, and it's been rallying a lot. Yeah, Qualcomm's rallied, but you know what? It's, got, it's still ridiculously cheap. What is it, 12 times earnings? Same with NXP, and I'm not taking any shots at NVIDIA. I do think the whole space, you're right, it has rallied. It is still uh, way down on any of these names or collectively from where they were, and they're still pricing in an outcome that is likely, likely more dire than what will happen. Bryn, what do we make here of the chips? Does Intel do anything to upset this early year story? You own, I guess it's NVIDIA, right? That's the main one? Yep. Yeah, so two things here. You know, Intel missed two chip cycles, and I, I've said this before, and this is prior to when, when Pat came there, Intel was frozen in time. And so Intel is probably a great company for the U.S., for manufacturing, for bringing jobs, but it's not a good stock. And I think it's a very good example because we've spent a lot of the last year talking about PEs and what's the multiple you're paying. PEs as a single metric are a horrible, a horrible metric to use to value the future of a company. And this is a perfect example because Intel has a PE of nine and a dividend of what, four or so? And so on the surface, people say, oh yeah, well lower than the S&P. I'll take NVIDIA all day with a probably a 60p at this point because they're growing and they're innovating and ultimately that's what drives shareholder return are not low PEs but innovation free cash flow and just Intel doesn't have those ingredients and so for that I mean I would rather buy as an investor a one year a one year T-bill yielding 460 than take the dividend yield and the risk of Intel as a stock. Carrie you don't own the chips but do you think the chips have been a good tell like some are suggesting that the rally is for real one of the reasons why you came on and said, buy it, don't fade it. Does anything mm -hmm. in that assessment have to do with the fact that chips have done quite well, uh, at, at least of late? Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not just a dream that stocks like NVIDIA and Meta are, are up, you know, about, you know, 50 to 70 percent. 
Th- this is real. I mean, this is going on right now. If you bought these stocks at their low and you could sell them and would have made a lot of money, it's not just a head fake. And it's because we are aware that China is reopening, that Europe is not in this major rece- recession, that inflation is coming down and interest rates may not go as high as people expected. That's good for fast-growing stocks and their multiples. It's very good for the economy and consumers. So I'm not surprised that these stocks are up bouncing. That's why, you know, a couple weeks ago and last week, I talked about stocks that we were buying um, because it seemed to make sense when, you know, you have good growth and the market doesn't want to pay for it because it's too scared. So yes, it's an indication. I don't think that it's going away. Maybe these stocks are a little ahead of themselves. They are high beta stocks, right? And high beta stocks move around a fair amount. And just on the Fang trade, we'd have to change the name anyway to the Ming trade, right? Right, <laughs> so right, right. That doesn't sound very good. Yeah. All right. Well, next week's going to be key. I'm, I'm also just thinking about, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out where we're at on the major averages. And yes, inflation, the picture continues to improve, although gasoline prices have been creeping up again. Lumber, as our, you know, uh, ACE data team sends out today, it's up 40% month to date, right? That was one of the key, you know, factors we looked at initially when we said, look at these commodities that are starting to go down. And we said, oh, lumber's plunging, this, that, and the other thing. So just keep an eye on all of that. We're keeping our, our eye as well on our chart of the day. It focuses on one Dow stock. It is surging after own earnings. Kerry owns it. We get the reveal and the trade. That's next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back. Chart of the day. It's Amex. Take a look there. Wow. Carrie, we're coming to you here. You own it. Okay. The stock's up better than 11%, right? They did miss, but their guidance was good. They boost their dividends. CEO, quote, we aren't seeing recessionary signals. They saw its highest ever quarterly member card spending. Highest ever quarterly member card spending. Wow. You know, I mean, it's impressive. And honestly, if you looked at that report and you said, was that something that happened and the statement was given at the end of April in 2023, people would say, wow, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it looks as if it's a pre-pandemic, you know, 2019 type of uh, release. But it shows how the market embraces good news. And, you know, it wasn't a perfect quarter if you if you look at all of the metrics 
Um, but there's a lot of spending uh, from young people, uh, millennials, for example. They've really gone after them. They've spent more money there. Uh, the increase of $200 million for, you know, charges, charge-offs, I, I think that was perhaps expected, maybe a little bit higher than people's expectations. But then the guide uh, being up is, you know, very, very impressive. And it's spending across the border. I think it's uh, international. It's U.S. It's travel, it's consumer, do you, and the, the stock is not expensive. It's a oh, cheap stock. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you that. It can go a lot so higher. You still think it's cheap here? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, it's as Bryn said, multiple isn't everything, but this is a multiple trading on next year's numbers. It's 13 and a half times. So that, that's inexpensive. And, you know, they're a bank. They make more money on higher interest rates. And even if interest rates are peaking, it's still a lot higher than they were a year ago, and they have a lot more money in which to, you know, invest. I'll pivot. So, yeah, we, we think this is a great move. I'll pivot to Visa, but stay with you because it's your largest position overall, which I didn't realize. Yeah, it is. So we pull that up. No, I, um, yeah. you know, it's a similar story with uh, American Express. They just see strength, right? Yeah. People are spending. People traveled in the last quarter. They're, the stock is, you know, it's yeah. up 11 percent year to date. It's up near 3 percent today. But that's your biggest position. Yeah, I mean, this was sneakily moving higher. And, and in fact, you know, Visa, despite being a play on consumers and spending, it, it was uh, it was a very good stock last year. You know, it was flat in 2022. Uh, and it, it's a, a technology stock, really. It's financial, but it's also tech. And the continuation of the move to, to credit and away from cash and other types of payment. Uh, and, and Visa has really led the charge. And it's, you know, MasterCard is great also for people on that. But uh, we, we think it's just a fantastic, well-run company, and it keeps putting out the numbers, and so the stock is going higher. It's not, it's not inexpensive on a PE basis, but with the innovation that's underway all the time at Visa, you know, we think that cross-border spending China, um, there, there's just uh, a lot more to go mm -hmm. for, for Visa. Jimmy? So we're happy with it. I know you are. I know you are. Jimmy, you are too, because you got it. And so does Bryn. But, Jim, yeah. what, what are your thoughts here? Well, I think all three of these, MasterCard, Visa, and American Express, are saying the same thing, and it's a microcosm of the debate that we're all having. Everybody on all three of these guys are preparing for what could happen, but they're just not seeing any signs of it yet. And look, that's what we're, that being a recession. Uh, that's what the airlines are saying. That's what the casinos are saying. You know, I, I go on and on. But um, I, I guess I just have to come to the punchline. There are no signs of the recession yet. And, and the most important not, thing here. Not, not from the consumer uh, in okay. some respects. Okay. Let's be fair. The absolute, all right? You can find a story you're, that you're, works for you on either side of the boat. Okay, you're, thank you, okay, because, as you know, I think the consumer, and I don't think this is controversial, I think the consumer is way more important than anything else in the economy, right? Well, I mean, obviously, consumer spending is like two-thirds of the economy. So, but let me continue on this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw jobless claims yesterday, 186,000, 190,000 the week before. We'll see what next week's Look, labor report is. that's the best thing is. you got going for you, is but, the, the consumer yes. is held yeah. up in, in large respects because they had excess savings and the job market has held up. You the question are, is, is it cracking? Are these the first cracks in the foundation are that we need to worry cracks? about? Are what the first, I mean, I'm not being argumentative. I'm just saying like layoffs, not. right? You are hearing about, you know, drop you are hearing bucket. about layoffs, right? Yeah, I know. I know, it's, I know. Now it feels like, to yeah. your words, yeah. a drop in the bucket. Yeah. 
It could get worse. Scott, I'm looking at you, okay? It could get worse. I'm not naive and I'm not suggesting it can't get worse. I'm just saying that, boy, we've been waiting for some time for these cracks to develop into real fractures. You want to give me something on Salesforce? Three new independent directors. We've talked you really know, quickly. a ton lately about the activist activity mm -hmm. in there. Now three independent directors. Yeah, and then, <laughs> none of them are Elliot's, right? So I don't really, look, Salesforce is not embracing Elliot's uh, activism. And, and who would expect it, right? I mean, Mark Benioff is, uh, has reason to have a big ego. Um, he's not going to just, you know, open the door for Mr. Singer and company to come in. But I wish he would because it'll save a lot of drama. You know, these activists are showing that nobody is immune. Um, not Salesforce, not Disney, not PayPal. And probably the best thing for these companies right now is to really embrace and listen to what these guys are saying because you know what? They're eventually going to have to listen to what these activists are saying. So why not just short circuit the drama and do it now? You, you, why do you tolerate mm -hmm. this valuation when you want others? that are higher than, uh, that's a like, good question. well <laughs> higher than the market. Well, for, I, your point is well made. I'll say it's that the valuation has come down. Well, um, because Who, simply, me or him? <laughs> both, look, both you, of you. You know, if you look at good my, save. Good, if, you good look, save. if you look at my portfolio, for better or worse, Bryn has an opinion on this, but for better or worse, the PEs are really quite low, okay? But, you know, I don't like it on those days when, for whatever reason, yields plummet and these long-duration stocks just rocket. I'd like to have some taste of it on those days. Um, so it's just portfolio management. But, boy, this is a small position, less than 2%. Uh, I keep listening matter, to carry. It doesn't matter whether it's 2% or 0.1%. You own oh. the stock, right? Uh, okay. It can't okay, always be a okay. I'm just saying there can't always be a disclaimer <laughs> in, in, uh, in this debate of, well, it's just a small position. Right? It's not like you have a thousand stocks in your book. All right? You have this one. And okay. you are not the type of investor who tolerates higher valuations like this has had. And Very you know often, what I, yeah, right. Yes. Yes, you are correct. But I've explained it that I just don't want to be out of it on those days. And they happen where long duration stocks rally. I'm still listening very closely to Carrie Firestone, who, if I were to sell it, she would come find me and hunt me down. Uh, not going to have that happen. <laughs> Carrie, give me a very, very quick thought sure. on this, since you obviously seem to have an on opinion Salesforce. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been in their own recession. They realize they've got to improve margins. They've got a lot of margin potential. And they can do it many ways. They've started to cut costs, cut headcount. And then when business starts to pick up, you'll see that that comes down to the bottom line. All right, coming up, utilities. They're lagging this week, but there are some stocks in that sector that are bucking the trend. Kerry owns a few of the gainers as well. Plus, Chevron. The shares are falling post-earnings. Committee member Steve Weiss owns it. He's making a move on it, too. So he's going to call, and you'll hear from him next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We are back on the Halftime Report. Dom Chu now has our sectornomics. Hey, Dom. All right, so, Scott, it's the third smallest sector in the S&P 500, so nowhere near as consequential as, say, technology. But the utilities trade has been one where a lot of traders and investors have been going towards it over the last several years as a way to get income in the stock market while owning some of the possible upside potential for stocks in what was then a zero-rate environment. Now, if you look at the utility sector spider, ticker XLU versus the S&P 500 spider, SPY, at one point during the late summer, early fall, the performance gap got pretty wide there in terms of utilities outperforming. And then as interest rates start to rise, then you see some of the shine come off the dividend payments that these utilities make. You can kind of see some of that big drop here in that white line. Now, some of the winners and losers in that utility sector overall are names that a lot of Americans know because you might get your power or your water from some of these companies. Constellation Energy was up 87% so, uh, over the last year. PG&E, if you're a West Coast guy out in California, up 28%. Meanwhile, NRG Energy and Dominion Energy down 14 to 20%. So again, winners and losers there. But I know, Scott, that oftentimes you and the committee like to look at something called the sharp ratio, something that tells you about risk-adjusted returns. What do you get in return and how much of that volatility that comes along with it? Well, the data team at market analytics firm Charts looked at some of the five-year sharp ratios, risk-adjusted returns for some of the big names within that utility space. AES has the best sharp ratio, 0.91. Nextera Energy, which is, by the way, far and away the biggest utility out there in the, uh, in the sector, 0.83. Southern Company at 0.66. Meanwhile, the XLU ETF at 0.5. So AES, Nextera, Southern Company among those, Scott, with the best risk-adjusted returns over the last five years per white charts data. Keep an eye on those. I'll send things back over to you. Um, Chu, thank you very much. All right, Kerry, I know you're not, you know, huge into utilities. You're pretty selective, but American Water Works is up 10% in three months. That's yours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, we don't really own utilities, but we've owned this for a long time. It's a water play, and water is in scarce supply. It's the largest of the public companies. They had taken little tuck-in acquisitions. We think that there's plenty of uh, runway for high single-digit growth and earnings and dividend per share. Jimmy, by the way, I mean, sharp ratio. I don't know how, if you bring that up at a dinner we have, it might be our last dinner. I'm just, I'm just saying, okay? I don't know how like, much you talk about that, but peg ratio is okay. Peg ratio is good. Sharp ratio. Sharp, sharp ratio is some really good stuff, Scott. We should, we should dine out more. We'll talk. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to own any of these. I'm not. I'm not, not utilities? I'm not going to do it, Scott. I'm not. I'm not even going to take a 2% position like with Salesforce. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to make Why don't you like utilities? George Bush didn't like the first one. No, why, like seriously, why don't you like them? Because they're expensive. The yields aren't high enough. And because I want to make money in the stock market, okay? I want to be excited. I want to wake up in the morning and find out that Paramount added like 15 million subscribers. I don't want to wake up and find out that, they, you know. So you'd rather live on the edge. You'd rather live on the edge than, than have a little safety. I mean, I'm a pretty conservative guy, but I just can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it.
Okay. <laughs> All right. Seema Modi has the headlines for us. Hi, Seema. Hey, Scott. Here's a new CNBC News update at this hour. Memphis police are set to release video later today showing the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols. Nichols died three days after a January 7th traffic stop by police. The five officers involved in the beating have been fired and charged with murder. President Joe Biden said in a statement Thursday that Nichols' family deserves a swift, full, and transparent investigation. Second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, attending a memorial service commemorating the 78th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. MF has joined at the former Nazi concentration camp by Holocaust survivors, their families, and Polish government officials. His visit to Europe is part of Biden administration's ongoing efforts to combat anti-Semitism. And the FDA has proposed new rules to make it easier for gay and bisexual men to donate blood. The American Red Cross and other groups have urged the FDA to lift those restrictions, saying the practice is discriminatory. The FDA's commissioner said this proposal will help the U.S. maintain a safe and adequate supply of blood. Halftime Report returns after this. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. Chevron's annual profit doubled to a record, but Q4 estimates did miss the mark. The stock is the second worst performer in the Dow today. It's been on a huge run, as you probably know by now. Steve Weiss knows. He joins us on the phone. Steve, you there? I am here, Scott. You bought more. You bought more Chevron. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, First of all, I view that the setback on earnings is sort of temporary. Part of it's uh, supply chain related. Part of it, of course, is just uh, that on refining margins, they weren't there. But the company's buying back 20% of its stock. Now, of course, it's not going to do it in one shot. It's going to do it over a number of years. And a little of that will be offset by by giving shares to, uh, to employees. But that puts a bid under the stock. Uh, as they go and buy it, and will be very optimistic. But it's accretive to earnings, dramatically accretive to earnings. So that's why I bought it. I bought it down five and change, and I bought it down again, down eight and change. So I'm not looking smart in either, but I think that that'll revert. Now, it's 10 times earnings, actually less than that, with this decline. And I wouldn't tell you that's extremely cheap for this kind of stock, but it is a little cheap, particularly when you put in the... Um, you know, in the buyback, and then you've got the dividend. So I think it's a very solid energy holding that's going to be counter-cynical. I'm also counting on China coming in and continuing to uh, to expand their economy and just throwing lots of cash at it. Bryn, you want to assess Weiss's trade here? Well, it's nice to see that someone who said this space was uninvestable is not only in the space, but buying more. So I think that what he said is so important. All joking aside, about Chevron buying back so much of their shares. I mean, you think about earnings per share, just like Apple, those are shares that are gonna make those earnings higher. So that that is a real um, catalyst that I do agree with Steve will keep a floor underneath it. It's like when you can find these companies that are down, that have high free cash flow, that have dividends increasing. These are just shareholder-friendly companies. And I think that energy is going to stay between 60 and 100 for the foreseeable future. And so if we have that range, that just once again continues to be a floor on these companies. So I say buy them when you can on weakness. Weiss, you can't run from the digital tape library. You just can't do it. Thank God Bryn was here. Thank you, Bryn, (laughs) on behalf of all of us, on behalf of everybody. Weiss, how about that, though, right? You know, look, I still think energy is 
not the most investable because it's based on a commodity price. And some of the best in the world have gone belly up trying to predict the commodity price. This, however, is a much broader business. I still believe energy overall is very, very tradable. But if you take a look, even at Chevron, take a look at the energy complex broadly, had a phenomenal year last year. Go back the 10 years before that, and the stocks were flat over the 10-year period. All right. Well, that was then. This is now. That was then. This is now. And that's why I'm in it now. Hmm, How long? I think for a little bit yet. But uh, not forever, I can guarantee you that. Sorry, Brent. <laughs> All right, Weiss, thank you. Have a good weekend. That's Steve My Weiss pleasure. buying more Chevron, as you heard right there. Up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word. Plus, we're getting ready to grade your trades. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. Tweet us, use the hashtag grademytrade. We're right back. All right, there's senior markets commentator Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. And Mike, as Pisani's been pointing out, and you've been pointing it out too, um, that you know the, the tenor, the tone, the internals have changed in in, in many yeah. respects. And you can build a more bullish case than you have been able to for quite a while. For sure, there's no doubt that uh, you know the indicators of demand in the market have all been firing pretty much in a positive direction. Um, How far it carries you, always the question uh, for now. I do think that you have to filter that through the reality of how people were underinvested coming into the year uh, and the fact that we really have had a very good blend of soft landing compatible data coming through. So I think it's all all positive. And and for me, it, it just has built a cushion in the market. So if you get one of these routine pullbacks, if you get short-term overbought, as maybe we are getting in the S&P, and you go down 3 to 5%, it doesn't really take you back to the month's low. So that's how you build uh, sort of this stair-step type market. Some of the silly stuff is reawakened, as we've no doubt looked at uh, some of the meme-type stocks, a lot of folks uh, chasing the crowded short uh, names and things like that. But uh, I think that's to be expected, whether this is just kind of a flash-in-the-pan rally or the real thing. Are we setting ourselves up in, in some respects for, for, for next week? I mean, all of this good feeling, it could come down to literally a few words from the Fed chair. Certainly could. And, I mean, the market definitely is, perhaps if it stays where it is, um, a little bit exposed to something like that, to where the Fed says, look, you guys have gotten a little bit optimistic. Financial conditions shouldn't be easing this much in the short term. But I always go back to the idea, of the, if the inflation numbers are going the right direction, and if you look at it on a three-month basis, PCE was basically near their target uh, long term, then, then they don't necessarily have to fight the battle of tightening financial conditions just to do it, because if inflation is going to cooperate. So that's going to be the big debate. But I, I think the short answer to your question is, yeah, you have to be aware of that possibility that they're not going to necessarily underwrite the optimistic view that the markets have priced in at this point. Yeah, and we'll just see if they undermine it as well. So we'll, right. we'll see. I'll see you in a few. That's Mike Santoli. You'll catch him for his last word of the week in overtime in just a few hours. Grade My Trade is up next. Send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com. Tweet us as well. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We'll do that next. All right, let's do it. You trade it, we grade it. Carrie, you're the first grader, okay? The grader of the trades. Mm-hmm. Not in first grade. Chris in New York <laughs> uh, <laughs> bought booking holdings at $1,900. What do you think? 
Yeah. Chris, that was a good trade. I mean, you probably bought it in November, and the market was pretty scared then. So I'm giving you an A. I mean, the stock's up about 30 percent. Uh, as we've heard from American Express and Visa, they're spending on travel, particularly cross-border and booking over indexes on the international side. And we think they spent a lot during the pandemic to upgrade their technology. That's paying off. The stock sells for a reasonable multiple for low double-digit earnings growth for the foreseeable future. And so we think that the stock can go higher. And it's really broken out recently. I mean, it has made a big move after quite a while of being in the doldrums. Okay. So good trade, Chris. All right. Bryn, you're up. All right. Mike in Niagara Falls says, on Bryn's recommendation, I bought BHP Group at $56.88 last August 18th on the semi-annual dividend announcement. I'll be a holder of the stock at least until the upcoming dividend X date. I would like to hold long term unless Bryn feels that the nice run in the stock is coming to an end. It's all hanging on you, Bryn. Hey, first of all, I'll give you A+. I own the name. I really like it. For those of you who don't know, BHP is an Australian mining company that mines iron ore, copper, and coal in Australia. China reopens. BHP has moved up markedly higher. As a trader, though, the stock has traded between 50 and 70, and commodities can be volatile. So I am a bird-in-the-hand investor. I'm definitely not selling. I will buy more if it comes down. But if you're up 20%, plus you get the dividend, which is close to 9% a year, that's also a good trade because you can't go broke taking profits. All right. And finally, Jimmy from Eric. I started buying Paramount in November, have been building it, now have a 5% position at a cost basis of $18.98 for a 7.3% return as of January the 12th. I like that Berkshire has a 15% ownership stake and a good dividend. Where do you think it goes from here? First off, I have to give it an A+. Plus. Now, if, uh, Eric, you had come on board and said you were selling it, I would have had to give you an A+. Are you, no, seriously, are you just giving it an A-plus because you're in it? No. Or do you like this move where he no, got I mean, in it? Yes, I'm in it, but I think it surprises no one that you hear me say, I very much agree with this trade. Um, and I don't think it's a trade. I think it's an investment. You're going through this year, which is the peak investment for the company in the streaming business. That investment is paying off, both in terms of subscriber counts, which we'll get an update on in two weeks, and where earnings should be next year, which is going to be here before you know it. So you look at next year's earnings multiple 12 times, 4.3% dividend yield for a rapidly growing business. Absolutely, I give this an A+. All right, good stuff. Keep the trades coming. As I said before, send us an email. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us as well. The Investment Committee will continue to grade your trades, and we'll do final trades up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right. Need I say any more than Jeremy Siegel? Jeremy Siegel joins me in overtime today. What does he think about this rally? Is he a buyer of it? It's gone a long way, right? We'll find out from him. Courtney Garcia, Kevin Simpson has some new moves as well. I'll see you in a few hours' time. We also want to mention that Kerry Firestone is going to be joining Dom Chu next week for a CNBC Pro Talk session. That's Wednesday, February 1st, 1.15 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join that conversation. CNBC.com slash ProTalks is the way to get in there. Carrie, speaking of you, we're excited about that. What's your final trade today? 
My trade is SPGI, S&P Global. And this is a company that went through a lot over the last few years. It was very hot stock moving into the pandemic, even through the first part of it. And then when interest rates began to go up, it collapsed because S&P does a lot of the grading, to say grading, of um, debt. And when there's no issuance, then suddenly, you know, there's nothing. But if interest rates are peaking, it's great for them. And yeah, we like it. All right. Bryn. Abvi, Abvi, down 10%, did 21 billion in free cash flow and a 4% dividend. Pharma Jim. Strong consumer, we talked about it. That should benefit General Motors when we report next week. All right, great great weekend, everybody. Uh, I'll see you in OT, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 